daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome to Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast with a new episode each and every day of the top flight season. And it's been a campaign so far with ups and downs and twists and turns, especially in the race for those coveted Champions League spots. Cristiano Ronaldo is Mr. Champions League, but it was Premier League action for him last night that he ended his worst spell in front of goal for 13 years to help Manchester United see off Brighton and move into fourth. United will have to wait another week to resume their Champions League campaign, but the blue side of Manchester were back at Europe's top table in their game last night, where they battered Sporting 5-0 away from home to effectively book their spot in the quarterfinals already. Bernardo brilliant, Sterling sensational, Pep perfection. Is this their season? Well, not if Liverpool have anything to say about it. And the Reds are on the road themselves in Milan tonight, as second in the Premier League plays second in Serie A. Inter stand between Jurgen Klopp's men and a place in the next round as their last 16 affair begins at the San Siro this evening. And they travel there with a fully fit squad for the first time in over three years. All of that to come on Football Social Daily with me, Niall McCorn, and alongside me today, Matt Pidd and Ian Brannan. Morning, gents. Good morning. Good morning, Niall. Good to have you with us. And let's get stuck into the Premier League action first before we talk about the Champions League. There's obviously a European game tonight between Liverpool and Inter and Manchester City dominating the Lisbon-based side Sporting in their first leg of their last 16 tie last night. We'll get onto those games shortly. But first, let's take a trip to Old Trafford where Manchester United beat Brighton 2-0 last night in the Premier League. And it's fair to say that at half-time, there were many unhappy Manchester United fans there are a few rumbles of boos as well uh, ringing around Old Trafford at the 45-minute mark. Brighton were on top of Manchester United for that first half, almost following the opposite to a trend we've seen in recent games. Still not a 90-minute performance from Man United, Ian, but they got the three points and that was essential because they've now moved up into fourth. Yes, of course. Um, you know the, the opportunities have presented themselves there with, with how results have gone elsewhere in, in the Premier League and it was uh, fairly crucial, really, that they, they took advantage of that. And as you say, it, it did seem a little bit more like the Man United we expect a little bit and certainly with Cristiano Ronaldo as well had a a much better game than I think we've seen him for, for quite some time seemed to be getting in the right areas he was having the chances should have scored um earlier in in the in the game than than he did um and really seemed to be causing Brighton some trouble and obviously of course they're playing against Brighton with the best will in the world they're not playing against Real Madrid or <laughs> PSG or anybody like that but uh, you know still for, for Man United these are the kind of games that they've they've actually struggled in you know the, these sort of teams that frustrate Manchester United a little bit but they seem to be playing much more freely last night and uh, yeah seemed um, um, disappointingly for me as a Leeds United fan who has to face Man United very very soon uh, that they seem to be getting their mojo back yeah, certainly that game between Leeds and Manchester United is at Ellen Road on Sunday. So they go into that one, Man United, off the back of a 2-0 win after several 1-1 draws. And Cristiano Ronaldo opened the scoring for the Red Devils, Matt. He scored the goal after his longest drought in 13 years. Got to say, a very good goal. Um, took it between a few defenders. Very short backlift and just rifled it into the, the inside of the goal. Uh, brilliant hit and... You know, even the best players in the world have fallow spells. But do you think that that will light the fire under Cristiano Ronaldo now? Do you think that will kick him on for the rest of the season? I don't think it's been a question of Ronaldo having no fire. 
I mean, we've seen it with his his reactions post match. Like he's, you can see the frustration is there, and he, he's a barn winner. He's used to winning these kind of games against the teams that they played against recently, and not been able to get the three points against. They've, he's not scored in six games. That would have been weighing on his mind, and the team's performances haven't been great neither. So I think it's just it's all just been a culmination of all that getting to him really. But we all know that form is temporary and class is permanent. And Cristiano Ronaldo, he, he's thirty seven years old, and he can still do bits like that in the Premier League in the, the best league in the world and you know it's it's not been an easy few weeks for them but they needed to get that job done last night I don't think it was a case of whether the performance was good last night especially in the first half they weren't they weren't great at all like you were saying in the intro there was a, a number of rumblings and boos at half time but United last night just needed to get that three points because I said it a few weeks ago on the podcast if United don't get in that uh, fourth Champions League spot they're going to find it very hard to attract a top-class manager to replace Ralph Ranić and some top-class players to to help bolster the squad because we don't know if Ronaldo's going to stay or go. He's only got, what, another year or so left in him, I think, at that level before he, he probably goes and, you know, sees out the rest of his days playing in a lesser league. So it all depends on what happens in the next few weeks now for United. It's a big result from last night, hopping above West Ham. Jim won't be pleased with that, but... There's still plenty of football to be played. Arsenal have got a few games in hand on him, and if Arsenal win those games in hand, Arsenal are going to jump up there. So it is very, very interesting up there. Now, it's um, it's not as clear-cut as what we once thought it was going to be um, a few weeks ago, whether the top four was going to be a certain uh, a certain club or not. But United definitely needed that last night, and uh, Ralph Ranić and the players and the fans, you know, more importantly, will be absolutely buzzing with it. Yeah, definitely think that that result is really important in the context of the top four. We joked on yesterday's podcast that no one seems to want that fourth position. Everyone keeps slipping up against each other. But the whole shape of the Premier League table at both top and the bottom, aside from the title race, really, has really changed in the last two and a half weeks. You know, you've got teams like Newcastle who have picked up points. West Ham have slipped up. Tottenham have, have let their advantage of games in hand go. So it's really shaping up to be an exciting end to the season. Brighton, meanwhile, are enjoying their best campaign since they returned to the top flight a few years ago. They were in the top 10 heading into the game last night, um, but they might feel slightly hard done by. They hit the crossbar. They actually performed pretty well in the first period. They also had a man sent off, Ian. Dunk was dismissed. A red card shown to him after Elanga nicked the ball off of his toes and then he was brought down. It was initially a yellow given by referee Peter Banks before he was recommended to go over to the VAR monitor, did a check and decided that a red card was the decision he was going to make. Do you think that was harsh on Brighton or was that the correct call for you? Do you think he should have been sent off, Lewis Dunk? We've seen worse tackles in in football even this week that, that weren't red cards. And really, I mean, it happened so quick. You know, the guy's um, dribbling the ball out from from his own penalty box and he gets dispossessed, as you say, and uh, he sort of just turns around to try and instinctively grab the ball back, as you, as you probably would, and um, Alanga goes down and it's a red card. It, 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 you know, it, it wasn't like a two-footed lunge or, or, a, or a proper leg breaker from, from what I've seen. So, yeah, fairly harsh. Um, I'm not really sure. As I say, we've we've seen worse tackles than that in, in this last week, where you know players have barely got a yellow. So it comes down to that old consistency thing as well. And yeah, maybe they're um, uh, going to the letter of the the laws of the game and stuff. But I mean, it, it, I don't think there was the intent there 
to, to, to harm him. And I don't know. It's one of those ones, really. I think a red card's beyond... It's the, it's the whole debate of whether it's a kind of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. He takes the ball off of his toes and, you know, is he going to get to the ball and put the ball in the back of the net if he gets there? Well, Alanga's absolutely rapid, so there's a, a big chance that he could get there and have a, a decent strike on goal. But it's one of those where... I've seen sort of a 50-50 split on social media, Ian. I've seen some Manchester United fans say, yeah, absolutely, Mm. it was a red card. I don't know what the complaints are. Right decision overturned from yellow to red. And I've seen other people say, oh, it's very harsh on Brighton. But, I mean, I guess the question is whether it's harsh or not. Was the right decision made? And, you know, we can have these debates. We've had these nuts and bolts debates about VAR ever since it was introduced two and a bit seasons ago. You know, it's a case of, some people still think it's a red some people still think it's a yellow it's like you can't really come to a a solid decision but that was the choice that was made in the end i'm just looking at the the thing now i've got it i've got it on in front of me and he's dunk has has got the ball and he's like taking his second touch and he's putting his leg out to to kick the ball for his second touch and elanga comes in and sort of runs across his outstretched leg and and, and and obviously dispossessing him, but it's sort of like he trips up over the outstretched leg that's already there. You know, so it's, this is not like a two-footed lunge, you know, or, or we will see worse this weekend coming, I can absolutely assure you. Mm. It's not a red card. A yellow, maybe. A free kick, maybe, but not not a red card. I think this is the thing with VAR, guys. It's Technology's all well and good, especially like with the, the goal line stuff. It's all clear cut with the goal line technology. There's no debate. But with VAR, with these kind of decisions, it's always subject to an opinion. It's always about the ref who's on the pitch or the man that's in in um, Stockley Park. That's all it, it's down to. We can hear, sit here as fans and debate and moan and whine and discuss until the cows come home. But at the end of the day, it's not going to change it. I think the only thing that needs to change with VAR is it's not the way it's being implemented. It's the people that are implementing it. I've said this thousands of times and I don't know if it's ever going to change because obviously, you know, I'm just one man's opinion, but unless the players and the, the coaches and, you know, the Premier League clubs all have a meeting and just say, look, we, I think it needs to change because there's too many inconsistencies with the way it's being run. I don't think until that happens, we'll see change with it. Yeah, it's a really great point. And in the end, uh, it did... I guess, arguably negatively impact Brighton. They kept it 1-0 until right at the death where Bruno Fernandes ran through and scored a very good goal. Nice shimmy to put the goalkeeper on his backside and then just put the ball in an empty net to make it 2-0. And that's the way it stayed. Manchester United move up to fourth. Interesting that Cristiano Ronaldo ends his 13 um, well, not his 13-year goal drought. That would be ridiculous. But he ends his worst goal drought after 13 years uh, on the same night that Messi misses a penalty against Ronaldo's old club, Real Madrid. And this whole who's the GOAT debate was sparked up again last night. It's just you can't get away from it, can you? It's always this Messi versus Ronaldo narrative. Um, but both of them heavily involved in their respective games last night. And uh, talking of European matches, Manchester City, well, they made it look like child's play, didn't they? They beat Sporting 5 nil we'll talk about that match next after this football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, the daily Premier League show from Sports Social and the Premier League leaders were in European action last night. Manchester City were on their travels in Lisbon to take on Sporting and they thrashed them. 
5-0. The tie was over after 17 minutes. City were dominant. The quarterfinals await. Surely, Matt, as a City fan, you're delighted. And there's no way that Sporting can recover from this. Um, well, City made a few changes from the win over Norwich at weekend, which was to be expected um, before the game. I was sat there and I was a little bit nervous because I know when it comes to these Champions League knockout ties, you know, sometimes your league form can be a little bit redundant. You know, Sporting are also a, a physical side and it's only the second time in their history that they've ever made the uh, the knockout stages. So I thought, you know, they would have been right up for it and it would have been a bit of a nitty-gritty game. But um, no, City and uh, very clinical City had uh, different ideas. You know, Mares opening the scoring inside 10 minutes uh, with his ninth goal in his last t- in his last. 10 Champions League games you know it was also his sixth goal in his last six knockout games so he's proving once again to be the man for the big occasion for City and uh, for Pep Guardiola you know um, credit to Cancelo and Bernardo in the build up as well and to De Bruyne as well with the assist you know he was at his imperious best again last night Um, the second goal (laughs) was what I could only describe as an absolute thunder (laughs) <laughs> from Bernardo Silva I mean the corner was floated in from Mares and the ball just seemed to ping straight up in the air from the head of Rodri and take an absolute age to come down but as the ball was making its way to the ground Bernardo he, he didn't take his eye off it for one second and he, he got his head over it and rattled it in on the half volley and with absolute ridiculous technique and you know the sporting fans that were booing him before that but you know as he wheeled away they was absolutely applauding him you know so it was an absolute moment of genius from him and he could have had a hat-trick as well. And like you say, they were booing him because he's a former Benfica player and the two Lisbon clubs, Benfica and Sporting, aren't exactly the best of mates, as you would appreciate. So um, he would have been extra keen himself, I think, as a sort of die-hard Benfica lad to, to, to go and put a performance in that stadium. Absolutely. And it sort of added to the narrative of the game a little bit. And obviously Diaz was there as well. Obviously yeah. a former Benfica captain. Um, then Foden put like clear daylight between the two sides after that um, some lovely work by Mares again on the right as he sent uh, some of the sporting fullbacks for a hot dog as we've seen him do it before you know he pulled it across the 18 yard box and Foden you know with a little bit of luck the ball reaching him you know he he, he got his foot round it and then once he did that he put the keeper on his backside and then uh, stuck the corner stuck the ball in the corner and he made it 3-0 and that was just after half an hour played um, right at half time Bernardo seemingly killed the tie off after some good work from, from Sterling on the left touchline pulled it back for Bernardo and he placed it in the uh, in the net albeit there was a deflection that took it past the keeper mm. but the way City played the first half they controlled they, had, they deserved all that uh, that look that they got there and Raheem Sterling wrapped it up um, yeah. just after the uh, second half making it 5-0 and it was basically repeating his goal against Norwich at the re- weekend. It was a mirror image of it, really. And it was actually his 150th career goal and his 116th under Pep Guardiola. And that's just so it goes to show you the ridiculous numbers that he's got for City at the moment. Mm-hmm. Imagine also, if he could finish. <laughs> I know, imagine, imagine if he could finish. And here's another one for you. Here's another stat. He also put himself on the 10th on City's list of all-time leading goal scorers. So, yeah. you know, it just goes to show you. And as a winger, he's not even an out-and-out striker. And, it's, and it's, you know, City at 5-0 then could afford to make some changes, which, you know, in these kind of ties, you know, Pep would have been absolutely buzzing with, especially with some, some crucial uh, league fixtures uh, coming up. We've got Gundogan and Zinchenko replacing uh, Stones and Foden. Uh, Fernandinho got on as well. It was also nice to see um, Ake and um, Delap come on as well. They got some minutes, and it was just, yeah, it was it was just a, a perfect night for really, and uh, it was surprisingly, 
it was City's first clean sheet of the Champions League campaign this season and 98 goals for the campaign as a whole now, which is ridiculous for a side that don't have a traditional number nine or an out-and-out goal scorer. You know, it seems that Pep and the lads that he's putting out are just ripping up the rule book once again. You know, and with those five goals scored, it took City's Champions League goal tally to a total of 200 now in the 97 games, which made them the fastest team to do so. You can tell I've been... Uh, doing a little bit of note-checking here on the stats. <laughs> um, and fair, fair, fair play to the sporting fans last night, you know, who remained vocal throughout, even, uh, you know, when they were 5-0 down. And they lived up to that name, Sporting, by applauding City at the end and appreciating the performance that they put on the night. It was, um, yeah, a golfing class, really, between the two sides. And even as the most pessimistic City fan, I can say now it's tie-over and it's a fantastic result and uh, it's on to Spurs now at the at the weekend. Yeah, Spurs at the weekend, surely that's City in the quarterfinals, as Matt says. There's no way that Sporting are going to come back and beat City by six goals without reply. It's just not going to happen. Obviously, there are no away goals in the Champions League this season. So even though that that would have completely put the tie beyond doubt, if that was the case, I still think that with that five goal advantage, there's no chance for the Portuguese side to come back into it. As you say, Bernardo's half volley was special. Sterling's goal was as sweet as you can get. Both players in very good form. I saw Gary Lineker on social media yesterday talking about how City score so many cutbacks in terms of the goals that they score. And I also saw some other people saying that City are a little bit you know, boring because they sort score the same sorts of goals all the time. But that game <laughs> last night just proves that that's just not the case, is it? Oh, What's boring about a guy whipping a ball into the top corner with his right foot or someone on his left foot smashing a half volley in off the crossbar? I just don't see how people can, can say that about City with some of the other goals they score as well. I understand that tappings can be a little bit um, sort of laborious to watch at times. But if you're a City fan, you don't care. As long as the ball's ratcheting the back of the net, you're not really bothered. And, you know, they're through now to the to the next round, the quarterfinals, even with a, a leg to play. So the Champions League is something City haven't won. They are the tournament favourites, Ian. Um, Matt will tell you that he's still a little bit sceptical about the, the competition. Um, if you were a City fan, would you would you feel the same? Would you be sceptical? And can you understand from a neutral perspective with that performance why they are favourites to win it this year? It's certainly an impressive performance, isn't it? And yeah, they've got to be one of the favourites. They, they are one of the richest teams in the world. They've got some of the best players in the world. They've got a manager who knows what he's doing. And, and of course, as we talked about last season, for Man City, winning the Champions League is you know the thing isn't it that's that's why they're here that's what they're doing this for everything it's not it's not to win the premier league that's fairly fairly small fry they they want to be european champions they want to win the champions league and and have that trophy in the cabinet it's it's something that they've they 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 said they were going to do when when the um sort of takeover kind of happened and all that that was the aim they made no secret of it came very very close last year uh, obviously hoping to go one better um so yeah, they can win it. Obviously, we're in the knockout stages now, and things can can go wrong. And you haven't got that sort of safety net quite so much. But when you're putting five past the opposition at this stage in the competition, then that's got to send a message out to everyone else who who remains in there. Why can't they win it? Why can't they win it? You know, they're doing absolutely fantastically well in in everything that they turn their hand to. And another stat for you, by the way. Man City, the first team in Champions League history to lead an away game by four goals or more at half time in the knockout stages uh, in the whole history of the competition. So that's that's you know how much they're dominating this at the moment. And um, you know even players like you just mentioned Raheem Sterling, who's been a little bit indifferent over the last 
you know, year or, or more. But look at his his performances lately, certainly since sort of before Christmas, November kind of time. And, you know, he's, he's scored a lot of goals, got a hat-trick at the weekend, scored again last night. And, you know, when you've got these players that have sort of had that, we know they've got that ability, but they haven't been performing. Those players seem to be performing. You know, this this surely is it for Man City this season. This is the chance. Matt. <laughs> Come on. Coming. <laughs> Look, you, you mentioned it there before you asked Ian the question. Uh, Matt will probably say different, and it's it, it's it's obviously it's it's something that the club want to win. The, the the manager wants to win. The players want to win. The fans, on the other hand, it always comes to the Premier League first. I know Ian said the Premier League small fry there, and in the respect of the importance of the competition for the owners' perspective, you're probably saying that the the, the club have won what five Premier Leagues now. And they want something different. This is, this is the, the the trophy that is going to put them into that bracket of what you call elite, elite with um, inverted commas. You know what I mean? These, this is what's going to get us respect on the main stage because it's still the only thing that sort of having you know digs at us like saying um, the, the club have never won a, Euro- a European Cup. They, they can only do it in the Premier League, and if they do it this season, then the fans and the club are going to absolutely be buzzing. The players will be buzzing. They'll be absolute you know, pandemonium on the streets of Manchester, but I'm just taking it one game at a time. Um, the Do you only... think if you had beaten Chelsea last year, you wouldn't feel this way, obviously, because you would have already done it? It's almost like the, the way of can we do it, whereas you know you can win the Premier League, you know you can win the Carabao Cup, so the confidence is there. Yeah. But Manchester City, much like Chelsea in 2012, who had never won the Champions League, but they had an owner who was ploughing money in only to win that tournament, having already won the Premier League, it feels kind of similar to that, that... You know, they kind of earn their coin and they earn their rightful place in the in the pantheon of sides that, you know, become considered a, a European elite team. There's no doubt that City, and Marley made this point yesterday on the show, there's no doubt that City are the best footballing team in Europe. I don't think mm. anyone's questioning those credentials, but it's the... It's almost like the old boys club where you have to prove that you can do it That's before it. you're accepted. Yeah, it's the, um, the 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 cartel as we was calling it um, a couple of year, a couple of years ago when they tried to get us banned from the competition itself. Um, the only the only club that can stop us winning the Champions League this season is ourselves. We're the only one. We've mm. seen it with Pep in the important games. Well, they're all important, but I'm talking like when it comes down to it, the nitty gritty, the semi finals, the quarter finals, the actual final itself. We've seen him make some questionable calls with his lineups and with his formations and with his tactics. And I'm just hoping this season he has learnt from it because we've seen it in the final with not starting Rodri last season. We've seen it with starting Sterling instead of it, you know, and then we've seen it with the previous season against Leon and so on and so forth. So it just seems to be the season. I don't know what it is. It seems to be this group of players and the manager itself. It seems to be the most complete sort of like package, the most harmonious it's ever been at the club. Everything just seems to be moving in the right direction. When um, people have expected us to falter or doubted us, we seem to have, have, have put those doubts to bed. We've seemed to have just proven people wrong. So I'm hoping that this season we can do the same like I said, I was sat there last night before the game even kicked off and I was thinking Sporting are going to make it you know, difficult for us here and we're going to struggle. Like maybe I, I'd take a draw before the game even kicked off and then within half an hour, you know, we're 4-0 up. So it just seems to be City are just going against the rule book this season. Again, without a natural centre-forward, we're doing it all this without a focal point at the top. So that's just pe- it's credit to Pep Guardiola and Pep to his players for sticking to the guns 
not you know sort of like bowing down to to what people consider as um, as normal and people consider as you know the right way to do things we're doing it our way at the moment and if we can win the champions league playing our way then that is just basically it's just proving absolutely every single doubt or every single sort of questionable questionable um phrase wrong that that's the only way we can do it this season by playing our way just keep doing what we've been doing all this season one game at a time and i'll be confident no doubt manchester city i in the champions league but i spoke to a liverpool fan yesterday who said they too are gunning for europe's top prize they take on inter in their first leg of the last 16 tie of the champions league tonight we'll talk about that game after this Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily. Thanks for listening in. We are part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, along with more than 100 other brilliant sport podcasts, which you can find at our website, sport-social.co.uk. And you can also find them on all of your usual podcast providers. Time to talk about the Champions League game that takes place tonight between Inter Milan and Liverpool in the San Siro. This is second in Serie A, Inter versus second in the Premier League, Liverpool. As I said before, no away goals this season in the Champions League. Inter are a good side, Ian, there's no doubt about that. But Liverpool, they should be strong enough with the squad they've got and the form they've shown to win over two legs. Yeah, you would think so. Um, I'm I'm not sure quite that, um, that, that, you know, Inter are, are, are... sort of quite the peak that they were a year or two ago when uh, when Conte was there um and um I think as as probably touched on as well that you know Liverpool coming back to form they've got their players back from the African Cup of Nations which is going to make a big difference as we've already seen um in the game at the weekend and um no injuries I don't think particularly either have they so that you know it's it's a full strength side um an embarrassment of riches for Jurgen Klopp this evening. So yeah, yeah, I think Liverpool only tend to struggle when they've got people missing. You know, when they, when when they haven't to go to the, the the plan B, but when they've got all their big hitters out, yeah, uh, I think it's going to be a tough night for whoever they face. To be honest, yeah, I think that Liverpool with this fully fit squad is something slightly different than what we're used to. Jurgen Klopp says before this game, Matt, that he's got a problem he's never had before, which is that he's got a clean bill of health. He's got every player to pick from. It's the first time in over a thousand days I was reading yesterday that there have been no injury concerns for Liverpool. That puts them in a good place for the rest of the season. But considering they're second in the Premier League, there is a points gap between them and your side, Manchester City. It looks like City are going to win the league. I know there are still some games to be played which could change the complexion of that but let's just take things on face value for now and say that City are the favourites to win the title so therefore with Liverpool with the way they're playing the squad they've got the players they've got is it understandable that the Champions League might now become their main target well it, it feels like for the first time in a thousand days Jurgen Klopp's not moaned about something <laughs> I mean to be, to, to be fair um, to, to Liverpool they have had um Injury, they have had injury problems over the last you know few months, and they've had key players out. And you know Jurgen Klopp has mentioned like fixture pileups, and you know the amount of games they've had to play um, is at, at fault for that. But when when you're a club like Liverpool that wants to win absolutely every single trophy, you know that's put in front of them, you have to expect these things to happen. This is why the clubs like Liverpool, like Man City, you know, like Chelsea, they build the squad so, so they can cope with it. And arguably for me, when Liverpool have a full-strength 11 out, their their best 11, 
it's probably the best in the league. I'd say so anyway. On t- in, in terms of of the players that they have, like you know Salah, Mane's and Jotters, and you know players like that, and Hendersons and Fabinho's, they're all they're all on their day world class players. And when they're all on song and all fit and ready. There's very, very few clubs in world football that can cope with them when they're on on form and inter. You know, they're going to find it very, very difficult tonight, even though they have players at their disposal. Inzaghi has players at his disposal that can hurt them, like Martinez, like Dzeko, like Perisic, like Vidal, and even on his day, Alexis Sanchez. So it's it's going to be a tough one for Liverpool tonight, but I'll go back to the point he was bringing up there, Niall. Liverpool and the Champions League just have a love affair with each other. It seems that they just... They just they just go together on the night. We've seen it in the past with the Gerard goal against Olympiacos, and you know the moments that they've had prior to that. The the um, the moment in Istanbul with the three three nil down to AC. It's just every every single time that Liverpool seem to get asked questions in this competition. Yeah. This that Barcelona and the, game and the, well. and the Barcelona loads, game. There's this yeah. There's so many. I had even forgot about that. There's that many. Um, and it just seems that when it comes to that competition, it just brings something special out of that group of players and the and the fans and the Anfield under the lights. Liverpool at the moment, I've got that their eyes set on that competition, obviously because like you mentioned, the points gap between us and them. But that's not over by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think that that's over until we play them in April. And if obviously if City beat Liverpool, then then obviously you know it's it's going to be game over. Obviously there's games to play in between them, but I can't see Liverpool dropping many points in between now and then and I can't see us dropping many points in between now and then so it's all gonna it's all gonna come to that for one there come to that one for me. Um but Liverpool have got a, a tough game tonight going to the San Siro, an iconic European stadium into Milan, um uh, obviously past winners of the competition under Mourinho. They're gonna be hungry for success because obviously the second in Serie A at the moment, they're doing well. They score goals but they don't concede many as well. So if Inter Milan, I've got obviously full strength squad tonight, which I think they have. I think uh, Gerzens is probably the only one that's of note for them that's out. I think we're going to see an interesting tie tonight. Obviously, there's no away goals rule, which sort of uh, changes the dynamic of it really, because what you see is you see these 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 home ties played first, and the the team at home's desperately trying not to concede, so they sort of like have a little bit of um have a little bit of more of a, a pragmatic approach to the game. But now they're sort of like it's just it's just like a, a normal cup tie. It doesn't matter who scores at home, who scores away. So it's sort of like a free hit, really. We we sit we sort of seen it with the uh, the PSG Madrid game last night. It wasn't as cagey as we thought it might be. Obviously, it was nil nil up until like the the last minute where Mbappe comes up with that moment of brilliance. But those are the types of games where it takes the moments of brilliance to unlock. Obviously, Madrid and PSG are both very, very decent sides with both decent squads. So it's not going to be one squad blowing the other away unless one has a, a really, really terrible night. I can see it being the same with this game tonight. I can see it being quite a cagey sort of affair, but not in the sense of a team not wanting to concede first or anything like that. I can see just both teams sort of like trying to figure each other out in the early stages. And then see where it goes from the second half onwards. It's going to be an interesting tie. Um, Italian sides are traditionally more defensive, and we know Liverpool's heavy metal type of football can blow teams away in the early stages. So Liverpool tonight, full strength side. Um, Inter Milan, very very good side as well. I can see it being an interesting side, and I hope to see um, plenty of goals. Conversely, though, I think that the the for Inter, um, Inzaghi has has been reported in the press conference saying that um, we know what awaits us. Liverpool were top of my list of teams to avoid, so uh, they're already on the back foot and uh, and fearing the worst. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like you say with that um, Paris Real game, Matt, it's uh, it's a 
case of Real Madrid were kind of clinging on defensively. I saw quite a good tweet that someone put out that said, if only UEFA came up with a way to encourage the away side to uh, to play attacking football, <laughs> um, which I thought was yeah, quite yeah. funny. But um, like you say, Ian, you know, Liverpool are a, a team who have that confidence in the Champions League for the reasons that Matt has outlined. That's obviously rubbed off on Inzaghi ahead of this game tonight. I don't know whether that's a bit of reverse psychology from him. But that Liverpool fan I spoke to yesterday said to me, you know what, Niall, I fancy us for the Champions League this year. Is that just because they've won it in recent seasons? As Matt says, they have a history. They can afford to, to feel that confidence, I guess. Well, yeah, and, and that's the thing, isn't it? That I think once you've done something, you know you can do it. And, and for Man City, that's... You know, maybe a niggling doubt in the back of their minds that they've come up short. Yeah, good point. A number of times, um, not, not not quite as uh, close and no cigar as it was for last season, but this season obviously different. They, you know, to see what happens this year. But Liverpool, they know they've done it. They know that they've been um, yeah. down in, and, the, in the... and it's because they've done it on a on a number yeah. of occasions as well. Ian, it's not like you know, if you do something once, you think, oh, was that a fluke? Did, did you know, was that was that just luck? But when you've done it on a number of occasions, Liverpool have done it six yeah. times as a oh, club. History, so yeah. it's not like oh, it was a fluke. Oh yeah, yeah of absolutely. And and it is the one to win. And you know, I think I've I've told you about the the days when I used to do a, a football phone in with uh, with Emlyn Hughes, and it was all he ever referred to, and that was the benchmark. It was like ah yeah, you know, you might have won a Champions, you might have won a Premier League, you might have won this, but have you won? Have you won multiple European cups? And that was the thing, not just winning it once, but winning it a few team, times. Obviously, he could say that because he'd done it and got an OBE and, and, and it was very hard at that point for anybody to match that. But, um, you know, that, that was for him um, the, the marker of the success of that Liverpool team was winning it multiple times, not just once, but doing it again and again and again, and or at least coming close a few times and, and sort of dominating Europe was, was the thing. Um, what you're probably wanting to know is what does Michael Owen think? Well, tell you, does he, he think that Liverpool might need to score a goal when, to when win he, the when game? He's, uh, <laughs> when he's when he's not <laughs> oh, dressed up as a night, of, that, Ian. Oh, yeah. you got to tell when me. He's not dressed as donuts on uh, on the masked singer. Uh, he revealed going to the San Siro is never easy, but the fact Liverpool won here earlier in the season will help them. <laughs> Thanks for that, Michael. Um, so I can't believe you just tried a Michael Owen impression. That's I mean. <laughs> You sure it wasn't you on the Mars Singer as a donut? Uh, that was got to do is just speak monotone. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was like it was actually him. Yeah, it's a niche. I'm working on it. Brilliant stuff. Um, always the best cutting edge analysis here on Football Social Daily. Of course, <laughs> Liverpool against Inter tonight in the Champions League. On tomorrow's podcast, we'll bring you reaction from that one, of course, from the San Siro. And maybe we'll throw a few Michael Owen quotes in there as well for good measure. Ian, Matt, thanks very much for your time. Appreciate you listening into this podcast today. If this is your first time listening to Football Social Daily, then welcome on board. We do a new one of these every single day of the season, including at the weekends where on a Friday night slash Saturday we speak to former Premier League players on our show called The Dugout so you don't want to miss that and the best way to keep in tune with everything that we're doing here at FSD is by hitting that subscribe button or follow whatever it might be on whichever platform you listen to the show on but that's it for today's episode thanks for listening and we'll catch you again tomorrow Football's Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk